Hello, I'm Claudia McLeod and today's interview will be with my dad, Scott McLeod, and we will be discussing about how he dropped out of a bachelor degree in agricultural science and uni to then go on and become a farmer using science in his everyday work life. We will also be talking about how his bike accident played a major role to the impacts on his body. Personally, I don't think you, you could get through life without at least a year 10 knowledge of science or more. Most jobs these days require this knowledge in some way, shape or form. Science isn't just about learning how our body works or knowing what happens when you have a blackout. Science is about knowing how to apply the knowledge to fix and solve problems day to day. Our knowledge of science will teach us many things that we didn't even know could happen. I have already experienced many things in my life. Recently I have started driving and I noticed how quickly it speeds up going down a hill. I had to think back to my year 8 knowledge of forces and energy and I realised the downward force would speed up to 20 kilometres. So I had to adjust my speed at the start of the slope to allow for room to speed up without exceeding the limit. If I hadn't have had this, not, this experience of forces and energy, it may have taken me longer to realise this. Another place I have experienced my knowledge of science is when our power goes out, or when our electricity short circuits. Last time this happened, I thought about how if we hadn't had this in our knowledge, we wouldn't know what, how to fix it or what the problem truly was. I've also applied my knowledge of the human body to my life when I have jarred my fingers or rolled my ankle and how it affects the rest of my body at that time. But we'll talk about that, this in more depth with my dad when he was hit by a car and broke several bones and how those breaks created other problems later on in his life. I've also discovered how different functions of my body work together to keep me healthy, especially my cardiovascular and my respiratory systems when I'm performing any physical activity. My cardiovascular system works with my heart to get rid of deoxygenated blood, whilst my respiratory system takes in new oxygen to be pumped around my body. If we hadn't have had known this, we wouldn't know if our bodies were truly functioning correctly. <laughs> hey Dad. So today I'm going to be asking you some questions about how science has impacted and helped you in your lifetime. And why it's important to have at least a year 10 knowledge of science. Why do you think at least a year 10 knowledge of science is important? Well, basically it's been 30 years since I've been at school or since in year 10. So it's a long time to think back and remember. But with basic genetics and animal reproduction it would come in handy soil structure and with regards to alkaline and acid soils do you test your soils we do we do do different crops grow better in different types of soils like different pH pH scales and stuff? Well, the more neutral the soil, the better. But you don't really want a soil below a pH of 5. So you don't want it any at more acid than 5. Whereas 7 is your neutral, but 5 and above. Does wheat grow better in a lower 
pH than canola or? Canola is more sensitive to acid soils as against wheat. And lucerne or your pastures, lucerne especially is more sensitive to acid soils. Okay. Can you give me an example of the genetics in sheep breeding for me? Well, one example could be is if you've got the ram, you really like the ram, and then you've got a ewe, which you really like the ewe. So you know, in theory, 50% is going to come from the ewe, and 50% is going to come from the ram. So hopefully, you'll end up getting a superior animal or an ideal animal which you're selecting for, which then will improve your flock structure in the years to come if you keep doing this. Do you, when you pick your rams out, do you put, say you've got like three bad ones and five good ones, do you put all your bad ones in one paddock or do you mix them up so that they... Or do you well, just, just well, use good ones? Well, I try not to have any bad ones <coughs> because they're rams which I've selected in the past. So if they're not up to scratch, they go. And do they ever get to a certain age where they're just like, they have to go, like they're not good anymore? Or no, like... they don't get to that. They just get to a stage where they're worn out from building each other up and fighting and that and they're they become obsolete or they become not up to doing the task. And what about the ewe? Are they the same? Like Yeah, once, just... once the ewes get to six years of age, we class them out. Class them out because in uh, once they get to that age, there's more chance that they're likely to break down. And won't be able to have the lambs. Oh, they'll be able to have lambs or whatever, but there's more chance of them dying. Once they get past that age, and and you're better off to better off to get rid of them, cash the money, and get good money for them, and then go again. Do younger rams and ewes end up like bringing better, bigger lambs, like better quality? Well, yeah, every year you get well, we go back to the same stud, so we select. Select rams from the same stud, so hopefully they've done the work on their end where they've tried to improve, and then it's a flow-on effect which will run through your stud. Not your stud, through yeah. your commercial enterprise operation, which, which is what ours is. So pretty much you decide each year you get rid of the bad ones and just try and breed better each year. Breed out the bad and keep the so, good ones. So every year... Of a percentage of the sheep which we, which we mark and everything, and then of the ewes which I'm going to keep, there's probably about twenty five percent of those ewes which I class out that I won't see fit for joining uh, because they don't meet my don't meet the characteristics which I'm searching for, and then we sell them off to a restocker as as seconds, but basically they're culls, they're rejects which aren't fit for our operation. So whether their wool's not good enough, or whether they're or whether they're too small, or whether their feet aren't right, or they're they're just they're just not the article which I'm after.
and you crossbreed as well, don't you? So you mix. Yeah, different. so we do we do do some cross, a crossbreeding over some of the older ewes. We put a Dorset, a Dorset ram over some of the older ewes just for a cash job, but they're all getting their throats cut. So at the end of the day, they're not they're not breeding. It's only for lamb production, so what comes out of them is not inc it's not it's irrelevant to the to the flock structure because they're not being bred from they're a terminal sire yeah and the crossbreds that you have they're used like for a different purpose than your usual merinos merino lambs yeah they're they're focused more on so the crossbred side, which we do, is focused more or less wholly and solely on meat production. Where obviously we do get one shearing of wool off them, but the wool's probably not, it's not the greatest and it's not worth much. Whereas on the Merino Enterprise, it's a dual, dual purpose enterprise where it's for wool, wool and meat. So yeah, you get both out of them. Yeah, both out of them, whereas the wool's worth more money. And when you feed your sheep, do you, how do you gradually build it up so that you know how much you're giving them, like the right amounts? Well, you basically you basically start off a, on a certain ration, x amount of grams per head, per a day, which you increase. Increase every every second day for the first two weeks, but when when you're introducing sheep to the grain, it's most critical that you you make sure you muster all the sheep onto the trail of grain which you've put out, and make so sure that they're all there so that they don't. So they're all there, so they've all got a level playing field, so they all get a little nibble each. Otherwise, you'll end up with some gutses that might come in and you end up killing them because they get too much. So you, you can't... They won't stop eating when they're done. They'll just keep eating till it's gone if you some, don't have them all there. Some could, yeah. It's like like a kid eating a chocolate bar. <laughs> Basically, if a, if a kid eats a full chocolate bar instead of a couple of pieces of chocolate, it's one or two chocolate bars, it makes him real sick on the guts. So you just gradually yeah, increase your amount. And you also sow crops. Is there a certain, like, I know at Thornley you have a hill where you go up sideways, like around, instead of up and down. Why do you do that? Well, I can go. It all depends on which way is the easiest way for the tractor to pull up and down the hill. But... Not only that, it's a case as if you get a heavy downpour of rain, you know, if you've got furrows running straight up and straight down the hill, there's a greater chance of it to wash down those furrows too. So, in other words, you might try and divert the water so you don't have... A big a, pool at the end. You don't have an area or a, or, a, or a certain area of ground facing the way for the water to pour down. And so the, so when you sow around and around, is that easier for the tractor to go? Like in terms of like force and friction, is that easier for it 
to go around instead of up and down so it doesn't slip and stuff? Oh, not really. It all depends. All depends on the slope of the ground. How, how, how hard you've got to pull through. Depends if the ground's wet, whether it's dry, whether there's rocks. How deep you've got it in the ground. You also um, use GPS. Has that made it easier? Oh, GPS helps. You know, it takes it might take pressure off on steering that and makes you be able to look back at the machine and focus on what's going on at the machine. But in saying that, once you've once you've learnt to once you've learnt the skill to drive a machine without GPS, then that makes you an operator. Not He's just a driver who just, just sits in there and hops in, just takes off. And just turns it around when it needs mm. to. So do you prefer GPS or... Because you've been driving it for years without GPS. So. Oh, it's something I'll eventually get used to, but I think GPS is great. But is it for every paddock? No, I don't think it is because you get different shaped paddocks, different sizes. But if you're out west where you've got big, long, flat paddocks and... And maybe five, ten k long runs, yeah, it'd be great. And do you think that it's a good invention for like, like say out west when people like older people, older farmers, who can just sit in there, and then drive it up and down, and then just turn it around when they need? Do you think it's good for that as well? Yeah, it is. It is good. But the other thing too is, it might, it might, there yeah, are. Cases where fellas go to sleep too. And forget to turn it around. Yeah. And just forget to turn around, they keep going because they're tired. You also started a degree in agricultural science in uni, but you didn't finish it. Why did you not finish it? I didn't finish it because at the end of the day it wasn't for me. So you knew you were always going to be a farmer? I didn't know I was always going to be a farmer, but it was you something. Just knew you didn't need to do it well it's something I didn't do but at the end of the day you know whether you've got if you've got the degree behind you it might help but at the end of the day you end up with people who have got a degree and they're they don't they, use they, it they, they talk the talk but when it comes to doing the action they can't do shit they're hopeless and they talk out of a textbook but when it comes to crunch they're bloody useless so, did you use any of what you learnt from that in farming at all? Oh, some of it I took on board, but a lot of a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff. Some of it, some of it's good, but realistically, you've learnt how you can also use. Yeah, I've learnt. I've learnt the skills myself. Yeah. When you work things out. You also had a bike accident eight years ago, I think. And how did it affect parts of your body that, like, still will hurt today? Like, did it affect other parts of your body oh, later my, on? Like My wrist. My wrist still hurts. My ankle still hurts. And my knees hurt. My knees hurt. 
Did you have any other from that accident after? Did you? And then, and then from that accident, it's it weakened my neck. And then I was hit by a sheep, and then my disc in my neck broke there a few years ago. So. At the end of the day, at at the end of the day, the getting hit by cars taken a number of years off my off my working life. But that's that's life, and I can still walk and talk, and I'm still here. So. Wow. You just learn to think smarter and and think of different ways to do things. That's good. So, is there any other ways that you've used science in your life, or is that pretty much it? Oh, I use maths. I use maths, <laughs> maths a fair bit. <laughs> Do you think that it's important that every kid should finish a year ten science? I think it's important that every year 10 kid has a basic understanding of science and maths before they leave school. And you think it's going to help them with any job they get? I think it will, yeah. Well, thank you for that. I've just got one more quick question I'll ask you. What management strategies and science do you use to ensure the success of your wheat and canola crops? There's a number of different management strategies which I use. But firstly, the most important one is your first year of crop. You want to make sure you start off on the right foot. Because if you get it wrong at the start, you follow up the whole way through. So it's very critical that you make sure you get it right to start with. So you want to make sure your weed control is 100% A1 the first year. And, and then, that, then that's a flow-on effect through the rest of your cropping cycle. And then you want to make sure that you rotate your chemicals, so you're using different groups of chemicals, and then different groups of cro- different, different varieties of crops, whether it's wheat, wheat, oats, canola, lupins, etc you know whatever you want to whatever you want to grow but then you want to make sure you've got the the right fertilizer for those crops you need to test your soil or see how much nitrogen phosphorus or sulfur is required for each of them how much stored water you've got in the ground to grow that actual crop and you um, you burn off before each crop Oh, some paddocks we do burn, and, and some paddocks we do incorporate the stubble. But a lot of the time with the burning of the stubble, it's just because there's just actually physically too much stubble for the machine to try and sow through. But then also, st- the stubble itself can make it hard to incorporate chemicals into the ground as well. Or it can act as a host for insects which can be pests to your crop, or it can be it act as a host for diseases, and that for the crop you're growing as well. Do you mix your chemicals, or like to make whatever you're producing better? 
you might you'll use different groups of chemicals for the for the different um, different uh, plants that you're growing. But I guess you rotate the groups of chemicals is sort of like rotating the groups of sheep drenches. So you you try and so you don't want to develop resistance. Mix it up, pretty much. You, Mix mix it up, and you've always got to keep Mother Nature guessing on what you're doing. Okay, well that'll do. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast and for hopefully realizing how important our science knowledge is in our everyday life. Uh, thank you very much, Dad, for letting me interview you. The science knowledge you have is very broad. Um, and always remember science isn't about knowing, it's about applying.